This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, episode number 184. And welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. I am your host, Riley Bowman, and today I'm joined by Jacob Paulson. What's going on? Hey, folks were giving you a hard time the last episode or two because they're like, where's Jacob at, man? Like, is he slacking? They don't like me that much. It can't be that, it can't be that big of a lost love kind of thing. <laughs> well, it has been a few episodes since you and I uh, did this together. Uh, I mean, you're a busy dude. I'm a busy dude. We're just always busy, <clears throat> but not too busy to do the podcast for yet another episode here. So, we welcome you all joining us live on Facebook and also listening via your mobile uh, or computer devices via the podcast feed. Uh, today, uh, we will be we'll be talking about some really cool stuff. We're going to be breaking down a shooting that happened at a CC's Pizza in a Walmart in Las Vegas in 2014. Two police officers were shot and killed and a concealed carrier, a good Samaritan, who was also trying to take care of the situation, was also shot and killed in that situation terrible story. Many of you probably are familiar with it or have heard about it. We just thought we'd take, a, take the opportunity to talk about it on the podcast today because we think there's a lot of valuable lessons to be learned from this incident. So we thank you for joining us. Uh, we'll be taking some questions as well. I have some questions here. Uh, I'll be uh, reading on the air and, and hopefully we'll get some good answers on these. These have been kind of sitting in the queue for a few days. Today's sponsors of the podcast, we appreciate uh, those of you that will support our sponsors. First up, I'm going to mention Sports Afield with their quality line of handgun vaults and safes. Uh, They do have a full line of full-size rifle-type safes as well. Uh, You can go to concealedcarry.com forward slash sports afield. Hope that you'll support them. Also, another major sponsor today is Brave Response and the new Brave Response Appendix Carry Holster. Yes, it's a controversial holster if you've seen the ads because people seem to think it can't be a quality holster if it's made from fabric, Jacob. But you see it right here, and it's well-made. And this is the appendix variety with the – this is a new patent-pending version with the uh, strap that helps it – it pulls that gun in tighter to the body. So really cool product. I carry in a Brave Response appendix holster. Jacob carries in in a Brave Response holster. So check it out go to concealedcarry.com forward slash brave response and today's other sponsor is guardian nation jacob and i are wearing our guardian nation hats so and i'm by the way i'm gonna tease this jacob i hope that's okay but i i'm working on something that i'm sending so it was just a little bit of tease if you're watching facebook live some of you guardian nation members are going to be getting a special gift from us here very soon something you're probably not even expecting so i'm excited to do that what do you think jacob i think that was very teasy of you <laughs> teasy is that even a word i don't know that was very cryptic um <laughs> i don't know i'm not going to give it away but but just know there's something see that whoop, 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 pause yep uh anyway so those of you that have been members for at least one year are getting something really special and cool. Hey, we got some folks joining us on Facebook Live. Uh, Matt, as I mentioned, we appreciate you, Matt, listening from Shreveport, Louisiana. Uh, David uh, says he loves the new format uh, of going live on Facebook. 
hope you're also consuming the podcast when you can't make the Facebook live feed, uh, David, um, on the uh, normal podcast feed. And Kevin says, also a fan of the new format, even with you guys learning to do to deal with the new technical hurdles, it's still the best podcast if it's still considered a podcast when it's live. Well, what you're watching is a live feed of us recording the podcast. So there you go. Kevin from Canton, Ohio. So glad to have you, Kevin. Sean from Livonia, Livonia New York. Did I say that right? Sure. I got that right. So anyway, let's, uh, without further ado, let's, let's get going here. Folks, continue leaving your comments, questions, whatever in the comments of the Facebook live feed. If you're viewing live today with us, we'll take any questions that we can. If you've got anything that comes up, any thoughts you'd like to add, we definitely would love to hear, hear from you. And also uh, let us know, drop in there like some are doing already. Raymond from Alliance, Ohio, uh, drop in there where you're from, where you're listening from. We are so thankful to have a, well, for sure an American wide audience, but actually really a a worldwide audience as we do see a number of people listen overseas as well. Jason from Wesley Chapel, Florida. Thanks for joining us. Well, Jacob, here's a question from, comes from to us from Gabriel. And he asks us this. He says, my name is Gabriel. I'm a fairly new CCW permit holder. I was listening to your podcast and you mentioned some topics on Hawaii allowing CCW holders to also have medical marijuana. Yeah, we did cover that story. I was wondering what would actually happen to somebody with a CCW. And I would actually say, Jacob, it really shouldn't matter if they have a permit or, or not, right? So let's just suppose somebody uses self-defense uh, deadly force, right? So they're involved in a self-defense shooting, totally justified. So they are in the clear as far as the situation warranted the deadly force they didn't do anything wrong as far as the force that was used. They were simply responding to a, a legitimate threat, right? Okay. And then he asks, and they test positive for marijuana. Do they get sent to prison even if they are totally in the right for being under the influence? We all know marijuana can stay in your system for up to 60 days. That is true. It can, can test in your system for some, some uh, amount of time. And I also wonder about alcohol being in your system while in a self-defense shooting. I know you shouldn't be carrying your gun while drinking, but maybe I had some drinks at a friend's house and run out to my car to get my gun because some random situation happens. Okay, so I'll, I'll get this kicked off here. So a couple yeah. of things that are really important, and I'm actually getting ready to write an article about this because some comments recently that we saw on our website led me to understand how deep the confusion is on these kinds of questions. So the first thing that's important to clarify is that, that you – when you get arrested and charged with something, you're getting charged with a specific crime. And sometimes you're getting charged with multiple crimes. And what's in question is that specific crime. So I'll give you another, another place we see this question all the time. In addition to like the marijuana question, we see it all the time with gun-free zones. Well, if I'm in a gun-free zone and I shoot bad guys, then now what? It's like, well, you got to understand that we got to break down what is the law that you broke because that's the thing you can be charged with, right? So it, let's, let's assume that in this marijuana situation, you know, if I use a firearm in self-defense, let's assume that we're legally justified related to the self-defense part of this, right? That, that the, the circumstances legally allowed that I would be justified in using deadly force to defend myself or others, and I did, and that, that you know, the, the evidence is there sufficiently so to, you know, make law enforcement uh, not 
you know, not arrest me. And therefore, uh, eventually there, a, a DA would not press charges because it's very clear that I was justified in the use of self-defense, right? Let's assume that's true. But there's some other crime I committed. I had a gun while under the influence of marijuana or alcohol or while in a place where I wasn't allowed to have it. Maybe I'm in a post office and I shot some people. Um, that's what you're being, that's what you'd be charged with, right? You're, you'd be charged with, you know, maybe it's illegal carrying of a concealed weapon if I'm somewhere I'm not allowed to have it. Or maybe I'm being charged with being under the influence and, and having the gun. That, that, though, is a separate charge for breaking a very specific law. So it's not like because you broke this law, you therefore are no longer justified in doing any of these other things, right? It, it, because you've, you've broken one law does not mean that now everything you did is illegal, and so that's the first kind of real important point of clarification is that if you break any given law, you can be charged with breaking that law. Second point that's really important, then I'll let Riley jump in here. And that is this, when we talk specifically about being under the influence of things like marijuana or alcohol, you also need to understand that if there are questions relative to your justification in using deadly force, and that does end up in court, the fact that you were under the influence is going to make all of your evidence really suspect, right? Your testimony is not going to be good. It's going to put a bad shadow on everything else. So it's going to make it harder to prove self-defense because you were under the influence. Uh, that doesn't mean that you're being charged with a different crime or that because you were under the influence, you're not allowed to use deadly force. It simply means that it's going to be harder potentially to prove your case because you were under the influence at the time. Yeah, uh, I agree with that. I think that's very succinctly put, Jacob, as far as in theory, you, you should only be charged with the actual crime that you that you commit. Uh, now, in this, in the case of this question from Gabriel, he says <clears throat> he basically makes the assumption that the shooting itself is totally justified. That it's you know clear, if you will, as to what happened. That there's no question about that shooting being an acceptable or justified shooting. Uh, and so, with that assumption in place, then yeah, I, I, I completely agree with you, Jacob. That you shouldn't be charged with anything other than if you actually broke some other crime. Now it sounds like at least in Hawaii or in, I think it was specifically, was it Honolulu, Honolulu uh, police department? I think that said uh, they were not going to charge or, or pursue after uh, individuals with guns that also had a medical marijuana license. Uh, so, I mean, they, they may not, come after you for anything in that jurisdiction, but there's lots of other jurisdictions in the U S that if you are under the influence of marijuana, you're going to be charged for, for possession of marijuana and or uh, possession of that firearm while under the influence or intoxicated or whatever. And the same could be true with, with alcohol. Now, Jacob, you brought up the other excellent point, And that is that being under the influence could complicate your defense in the event that it wasn't a clear-cut case, right? I mean, let's just use it as an example. Let's suppose that the uh, situation was where your attacker did not appear to have any sort of obvious or overt weapon, okay? I mean, let's use the example of, I think a great example for this, Jacob, because everyone's familiar with it, would be the uh, George Zimmerman, Trayvon Martin shooting. Okay, so you have a situation where it's a physical altercation where Zimmerman feels like uh, it's getting out of control for him and his life is now in danger, not because of a weapon, but because this kid is on top of him, you know, beating his head into the ground. Um, and that was essentially what the jury saw and, and ultimately uh, let Zimmerman off the hook for because they couldn't prove beyond a reasonable doubt that 
he wasn't justified in that situation to use deadly force, that his life wasn't, his own life wasn't also in danger. But if he had been under the influence, I guarantee you that that would have been brought up by the prosecution in that case. That, well, perhaps his judgment was altered or that it was not precise uh, because he's under the influence. Now, that might not necessarily have any bearing on whether it's justified or not. And that's the important thing to realize. And that's what you touched on, Jacob. But it's all about the appearance. And appearances, provided you have a really good attorney, shouldn't make it, you know, shouldn't matter, shouldn't make a difference. But it's possible that it paints you in a negative light and that might sway a jury to be less inclined to believe other facts of the case. Yeah, one, one last thing I'll throw in that I think is also relevant to this conversation. Speaking, you know, the question about Hawaii, et cetera, is that even if local authorities have said that they won't press charges about something, that doesn't necessarily mean that federal authorities won't or Absolutely. that those charges won't be added on when something else happens. So maybe, you know, local law enforcement has passed some resolution that, hey, you know, we're not going to charge people for being in possession of a, of a gun when they're under the influence of marijuana. But then you get charged with something else. Maybe, you know, maybe it's a traffic violation. And as long as we're pressing charges, let's throw this on here. Or maybe, you know, county law enforcement or state law enforcement or federal law enforcement, for whatever reason, gets involved in your world they don't have to follow local, you know, whatever resolution, right? That to them, it's still a crime. They can still press charges. So those are all things to, to keep in mind as well. Yep, absolutely. Good question though from Gabriel. I, I think the big one that most people probably would be concerned with is the issue of perhaps being uh, intoxicated, meaning that you consume some alcohol and perhaps it was done in your off hours when it's completely legitimate and understandable to do so. I mean, maybe you just had a, a couple of beers before you went to bed and you wake up in the middle of the night with a, an intruder and you're grabbing your gun from your safe uh, or from your bedside or whatever to deal with this intruder, but yet you still have some alcohol in your system. Provided, as we've touched on, that the facts of the case show that that shooting is a good shoot, that it's justified, uh, that alcohol shouldn't make any difference. Um, but I am always, I, I, I do always caution people um, with their consumption of alcohol or perhaps other drugs as it relates to them carrying their, or possessing their, their firearms. You do need to be mindful of and careful of those situations. Yeah, and Doreen asks here in our Oh, excuse me. Choke, choke in our feed. What if the pot or drugs were prescribed by a doctor? Uh, does that change anything? The short answer is I don't think it changes anything. Uh, I mean, maybe it's a little bit for the jury. They're a little bit changed in terms of their perception of you. Oh, you were on a prescription, but it, it's still potentially, you know, it's probably going to be brought up by a prosecutor and used to suggest that you were not, you know, exercising as good a judgment as you could, or that you weren't as being as reasonable as people expect you to be, uh, you know, to meet whatever standard the law sets. So, so I, I think the, the thing to understand is if you're under any influence, the prosecutor is probably going to bring it up because the prosecutors are going to bring up anything they can to create any sort of reasonable doubt, right? That's their job. And so does that mean it could create doubt in the mind of the jury? Sure, absolutely could, or it might not. I mean, who's to say, right? Who's the jury and what other arguments are your, is your attorney making to show that, you know, hey, under the influence or not, you know, what Jacob did, any reasonable person would have done, you know, yep. regardless. And so, you know, good to go. Yeah, that's right. Good thoughts. And it uh, looks like we've got Matt checking in from Sayre, Oklahoma. Uh, we've got Lonnie who says he... Always loves listening to podcasts. Now live is pretty cool too. Hey, thanks for checking in, Lonnie. Chad from Wilkesboro, North Carolina. Dennis from Belleville, Ohio. 
Uh, and Matt just commented, ice cream is <laughs> greater than alcohol. Problem solved. Well, you know, Jacob and I are probably two really weird and strange dudes, especially in the gun community, because we don't drink alcohol. Uh, we don't enjoy beer. We don't do any of that kind of stuff. So uh, you're preaching to the choir on that one, Matt. We, we love ice cream, especially Jacob. <laughs> no problem. How he main, maintains that figure, I'll never know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So here's a, here's a question from Tomas. Uh, let's see here. He, he says, I have a small lockbox safe that I carry my gun in every night. Typically, I leave my G19 in its Kydex holster loaded with a round of the chamber before I lock it in the safe. Should I unload it before it's stored in the safe? What are your thoughts there? I feel like we answered a very similar question recently. Did we? Yeah. Um, it's possible so, I didn't get rid of that one after we answered it. I don't know. Yeah, I think, I think you're, that's a fail on Riley's end. But here, here's the short answer. Leave round in chamber, take gun out of holster, put it in lockbox. So I can't imagine a single reason why you would un- unload it before putting it in the safe. I just, I mean, if, if you think, if you're a kind of person who is comfortable carrying it chambered on your body during the day, then I don't understand what would make you uncomfortable about having the gun in the same status while it's locked up in a safe. Uh, right. I, I think that's one of the same, but I don't understand why you'd leave it in the holster. I'm inclined to say remove it from the holster. I mean, if I had to open the safe and retrieve the gun and then also pull it out of a holster, to me, that's one extra unnecessary step. Uh, should I ever get to that point? Now, someone else might say, you know, the counter argument might be, well, but Jacob, you know, it's safer if I leave it in that holster. You know, if every morning I get it out of the out of the safe and I just have to put the holster on and then at night I take the holster off, put it in, then I'm less likely to have a negligent discharge in that process. Yes, true. And so maybe that's a valid argument, but I'm inclined to say remove it from the holster for, for a couple of reasons. One is the one that I think I already implied, and that is I want to be able to get it quickly out of the safe and don't want to have an extra step should I need to use it in the middle of the night. The second reason is because I love my dry fire training of being able to draw my gun out of my holster every night. When I get, when I come home and you know, when I'm getting ready to go to bed and I open my safe and I go to put my gun in it, that's an opportunity for me to get a good solid, you know, muscle memory draw out of a holster. I'm not going to you know, draw up on my wife or something, but I'm just going to, you know, good, slow, good, strong, deliberate, you know, way it should be done, draw. And then I'm going to put that gun in that safe. And if I'm removing the holster every time, then I'm, that's, that's 365 opportunities a year you're missing to get some draw practice. Yep. Uh, so here's one other thing that I think would be a fair statement to make with regards to storing a gun with a round chambered in, 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 the, uh, in the safe. And that would be, the one concern might be that some of these safes, I mean, I've got this little handgun vault right here, and this has got a handgun in it right now. The, the, the fear might be that you, I mean, this is a little bit of an awkward thing to maybe grab the gun from sometimes. And then in the process of you trying to grab that gun from inside the handgun vault, that you might, you know, because it's a little bit awkward, you might accidentally snag the trigger in, in a weird way and, and cause the gun to, to discharge as you're trying to retrieve it from the safe. Uh, that's a very valid concern. Uh, so that's one thing that, you know, I think one way you could address that by the way, is by staging your gun with appropriate, and Jacob, I see he's getting, getting his, a uh, little bit larger version of the uh, sports field, uh, vault out. Um, I have less of an issue probably Jacob with grabbing the gun out of those side access ones, uh, because you can go right into it grasp the gun, make sure you keep your fingers straight, and, and then you come out. That's not so much an issue, but it's more these style here. here I'll go ahead and, and open this up so you can see. I mean, the gun just the gun just lays in there. And this actually, speaking of a holster inside, um, 
Yeah. For those of you who, are, who don't see the video, this is like a clamshell Imagine style safe. Right. And I've got a little Ruger LCP that's the version two inside there. It's actually just in the Ruger uh, pocket holster that came with it. Uh, nothing fancy there. But uh, anyway, the concern would be reaching in there and it's a little bit more awkward grabbing it from these clamshell ones where the gun's just laying there and you might snag the trigger. So I have, I, I do know of some individuals that will stage it in there with a one of those kind of trigger guard uh, covers, right? Mm-hmm. So yep. Click onto the trigger guard, has maybe a little lanyard attached. So that as you grab that gun, you get it in your hand and you start pulling it out. That, that lanyard's attached somewhere inside the safe that pulls that trigger guard cover off and thus exposes the trigger, but only after you've got you know the grip that you need to have and you're, you're gripping it safely, you pull it out. So that, that, that would be one way you could stage a handgun in one of these small safes in a way that I can't imagine that you would ever have a problem with uh, discharging that gun. Yeah, and I think that just an important point here is I think that we often neglect the importance of training gun retrieval from safe. And so bear in mind that, you know, in the middle of the night, whatever you're going to do to get that thing out of that safe, that's, what, that's, you, that's something you need to have, have a lot of repetition doing. And luckily, every morning, 365 days a year, I'm going to wake up and get the gun out of that safe. So that's an opportunity to get that muscle memory if I do it the way I would do it. That doesn't mean I have to do it to speed, but it does mean I need to deliberately draw it that way so I'm creating the right muscle memory. 365 days a year, I get a practice pull from a safe, and 365 days a year, I get a practice pull from holster, you know, draw, and then put back in safe. So that's just my approach. Now, Jason, if you're still watching the Facebook Live feed, I I hope you are, uh, because we've got a question from Jason about... uh, his question has to do with, I believe, knives. Uh, so he, he talked about after episode 178, he says I want, that he wanted to chime in on the end of episode 178 where you discussed the secondary line of defense such as an EDC knife. I understand that many knives require two-handed operation. Me being a gadget guy, nicknamed Go-Go Gadget in my church security team. I like that. I have always had a love affair with high-end knives. And the SOG Twitch has seen many days as my go-to EDC. However, just recently I was at the local gun show and fell in love with a new knife. The thing that made me truly fall was the single-handed operation support or strong. It's made by HeliTac, which is a local company here in Florida. It came with a lifetime warranty and seems to be made as well as my SOGs and uh, Spyderco pieces I have. It acts like a switchblade but had a a built-in breakaway that allows it to be classified as an assisted blade. He always carries his blade on my support side, and this new toy has become part of my EDC along with my Streamlight Micro. Let me know your thoughts and if you'd even consider such a thing. Yeah, um, I also have very strong feelings, as Riley knows, about my ability to open my knife quickly one-handed. Yep. So I am a fan of anything, whether it's spring-assisted or what you know, whatever mechanism you know your fancy knife is that allows you to open it one-handed. So I think that's all valid. A fixed blade uh, potentially is more stable and doesn't require any action at all. So there, you know, I think there's arguments for all that. I don't have really strong feelings above and beyond just that with one hand, I better be able to get a blade out. Um, as far as support side versus strong side, I think that's kind of obvious. Support side is probably preferable, but you know, teach their own. Yeah. So I'm looking at a couple of these. Uh, let me share my screen real quick for those that are viewing on Facebook Live. Uh, let's see, pull this up. This is from Helitech, helitech.com. Um, and you see these are all, these are basically uh, a version of a automatic knife. All right. So yeah, I'll pull up a picture here. It's a little bit bigger. And so you see it's got a little slide switch 
um, that when activated, you, you push that forward and that blade's going to shoot right out of there. Um, I, if, it, if this type of knife is legal in your state, uh, Jason, then I see no reason why not to go ahead and, and carry this as your, as your EDC. If it's legal where you are, why not? It's going to be a pretty quick way of grabbing and, and uh, deploying your knife. Now, on my person today, I've got a uh, Benchmade. Uh, this is their Griptilian model. It's really simple. And a little shout out to Blue Core where I bought it from. Uh, lo- lo- love those guys. I-, I love this knife because it is a folder, but you know I can access it pretty quickly. But I also like that it's one-handed open, but also one-handed close, as you can see there. It's one of the be- beautiful things with the Benchmade system is the uh, release. If you're viewing there, you've got these the button. It actually go. It's it's a through and through button. You got buttons on both sides. You pull that back and a little flick of the wrist and the blade goes right back inside the uh, handle. So I love Benchmade made knives that work like that where you can flick it open really fast. Also close it just as fast, all one-handed. It's a beautiful thing. It's changed my life as far as how I use my knives. Here's another one. Jacob, you mentioned the uh, fixed blades. Well, I just grabbed my TDI uh, K-Bar knife from my holster where that was stationed and that one's on my support side. So if I got a situation where I need to get that in my hand real quick, slash at somebody that's maybe they're, they're, maybe they're trying to take my gun, right? And this is a secondary option where I can go to that, get that out fast. I don't even have to worry about opening it. And I'll be honest, I am not as skilled at opening my folder knives with my support hand as I am just grabbing a fixed blade knife. So this is a great solution for on your support side. So that would be, some of the thoughts I have about uh, EDC knives. Uh, this one's always on me now. This one's always on me on my strong side. I've got two options, two ways to go. They're both pretty good. This one's a little bit faster to deploy. So just some thoughts. So we'll make a note here in the show notes of the podcast. We will include a link to some of these knives that we've mentioned and a link to an article we actually have on our website about keeping a gun on a nightstand. And it talks a lot about considerations. Uh, well, I've seen a couple of people here have kind of commented in our, in our live session here that they have no kids at home, so they don't, they don't keep a gun in a safe. That's certainly an option, but I would encourage you to go read this, this article that we have on our site that talks about some other considerations, why that may or may not be good. It's not just about, do I have kids at home? There are other reasons why it may or, not, may, or may not be a good idea to have that gun in a, in a safe. So check out that article yep. and we'll, we'll include these links in the show notes. Yep. Hey, some comments that have come in on Facebook, Jacob. Uh, Howard says the 4473, that's the form you fill out at a dealer when you're purchasing a gun. He says it was changed because of legal pot. That is true. And it does ask on there. And so, yes, still technically at a federal level, pot possession or use is still illegal together with purchasing or possessing a firearm. Uh, Basically, what we have in Hawaii is an agency that's decided they're not going to enforce that or bring it up to the Fed's attention if they catch anybody. Uh, they're just not going to enforce that on their local level. Doesn't mean that it's not, you know, it still is illegal from a federal standpoint. We get that. Um, let's see here. Here's a, Matt says he keeps around in the chamber for in all of his guns. Uh, Patrick says, I have no kids, just me and my wife, so I leave mine on table next to phone in holster with with one in chamber, SR9 own soft holster. So he's carrying a Ruger um, and I guess it comes with a soft holster. So he leaves it in on the table next to foam. 
Uh, it has no kids. That's fine. Just hope that you're making sure you're securing that, Patrick. If you leave the home, that it, it can't just be stolen by something that breaks in. Uh, Doreen says the same thing. Nightstand in the holster. Um, so, and then Jason asks. Uh, so does that mean you're always wearing that hybrid holster to allow that carry of the fixed blade? So I actually have two different uh, uh, holsters for that, uh, for this knife, Jason. Uh, I've got one where I can carry just, just this alone. Um, and then I have been wearing this hybrid holster a bunch recently because I'm still, you know, I like to give all holsters that I test and, and evaluate a, a fair shake, you know, give them several weeks at least before I make a judgment call on that holster, whether I like it or, you know, what, you know, so I can write up my review and all that stuff. Uh, so I haven't wearing this a lot, but I do have a secondary little sheath or holster for this knife so that I can carry even when I'm not wearing this particular holster. And actually the sheath that came with this holster is also detachable so I can continue to use it that way. So anyway, uh, good, good stuff there, Jacob. I say now let's shift over to one of the main topics we came to discuss today. And that is this 2014 shooter or shooting situation in Las Vegas at the involved. It was really two different scenes. We had a Walmart and a CC's pizza. And it actually started at the CC's Pizza and it ended up at the Walmart where it was resolved. So, yeah. So, here, here's the rundown, right? I'm going to go ahead and share my screen. First off, here's a story on the Las Vegas Review Journal, reviewjournal.com. Uh, and this was, a, this was a story that was published several days after the shooting occurred where police uh, announced that – because there was – talk as uh, basically had a husband and wife team that committed this, this act of violence. And it was thought initially that the wife shot and killed her husband and then killed herself. Um, but it actually what the autopsy showed was that uh, the, that Jared Miller, <clears throat> uh, the perpetrator of the act along with his wife, Amanda Miller, he, he actually was killed by uh, a 223 caliber bullet from one of the law enforcement officers that responded to the Walmart. But anyway, we should probably just detail the story as to what happened on that fateful day. Here you see the uh, suspects. If I click on this image, that'll, that'll bring them up. Uh, <clears throat> Jared and Amanda Miller on, uh, what was it, June 6th or 5th or somewhere around there. It was early June of 2014. They walked into a CeCe's Pizza. Uh, and basically, I think it was nearby or across the street from this Walmart store. And they ambushed two law enforcement officers there inside the CCs uh, it, where, you know, just out of the blue, no, no warning, you know, just walked up, shot them. Uh, one of them, I think, was shot in the head. The other one was uh, shot up close in the throat. He tried to engage the Millers, but was unable to do so before they, they finished him off. They then stole the weapons uh, from these two officers, at which point they then made their way over to the Walmart. They walked into the Walmart and almost immediately, I think Jared fired a shot off uh, into the air and they went into the store. A gentleman, a CCWer, um, boy, this is acting, my browser is acting a little slow on me. Uh, Joseph Robert Wilcox, age 31, he was ne near the front of the store and he hears the gunshot. He recognizes Jared Miller as far as being a threat he then walks towards and starts following Jared Miller Miller has no idea he's following him okay that he's being followed by uh, Wilcox uh, Wilcox 
in the process of following and getting ready to confront Jared Miller. And he's basically drawing his gun, getting it out, getting it ready to go, right? As he's approaching Miller, Jared Miller, that is. He passes Jared's wife, Amanda, as he's going towards Jared. Does not see her, is not aware of her, doesn't know that she's armed, doesn't know that she's part of that situation. As he's getting ready to confront Jared Miller, Amanda uh, draws her, her weapon and shoots uh, Wilcox, Joseph Wilcox kills him right there. And then we end up with a standoff in the store where a uh, SWAT team goes in. They exchange shots uh, with the Millers. Uh, Amanda Miller did shoot herself in the head, kill herself. Uh, Jared Miller, like I said, was killed by a 223 shot from a, from a SWAT team member. So that's basically the gist of the story. Now, this happened, like I said, back in June of 2014. Uh, kind of a, you know, it was a big story at the time. Uh, it's still been a big story with me. I reflect off and back on this situation. There's lots of things that, that we can learn from this, and that's what we're going to do now is break down the situation and the story. Uh, Jacob, you know, after giving the synopsis of, of the situation, what's your first thoughts? Yeah, let's start with the cops and the CeCe's Pizza. So CeCe's Pizza, I think, is one of those kind of all-you-can-eat dealios uh, where you kind of pay and then you just go to the bar and you get a, you know, pick up pizza, sit down, eat more, go back, get some more, and sit down. So I'm trying to put myself in, in their shoes, right? I'm sitting in a pizza restaurant, Cece's Pizza. I probably just loaded up my third plate worth of pizza because it's all you can eat. So of course, I'm going to eat a ton. And I'm sitting there eating and uh, two people walk in. You know, maybe I'm not paying attention to my surroundings. I don't really understand. You know, I'm not thinking about what's going on. And they walk up, they, they're approaching this table where I'm sitting. And in the time it takes for me to realize what's going on, it's too late, right? You know, you, you have... Two perpetrators, first off, like that changes the dynamic a ton. When you're talking about two different aggressors, that's a big difference between you know me versus one bad guy or bad gal. Now I have to face down two BGs. Uh, that's tough. So maybe we got two officers who aren't paying attention. They're enjoying this awesome pizza. and Or maybe they are. I mean, I'm not trying to, to judge, but let's, I'm just awesome. in my head. Yeah. Uh, well, Ceases pizza, not exactly, not exactly high quality, but it's, it's, you get a ton for cheap, right? It's probably like $5 right. all you can eat. Plus salad. Plus, and, and the dessert pizza, don't forget. So, <laughs> so you know, they're sitting there and all of a sudden it's like, boom, right? Shots probably getting fired. One of the officers does attempt to respond. Maybe he's not the first one shot. So he sees, you know, he's here, here's gunfire. His partner, maybe across the table, is down. He goes for his gun and tries to draw, but it's too late. He's already been shot uh, in the throat. He's done. So I think starting there, there's some really important, valuable things to consider, right? I mean, we have, you know, a lot of what I would call like physical security related things. You know, when you go into a restaurant, uh, you know, we've all heard about how you're supposed to put your back to a wall and face the entrance and pay attention. And like, I know we talk about that all the time, but are, are we doing it? You know, are we in a situation where we're close to an exit uh, where we have a good eye on, on you know, the primary entrance and, and we're paying attention. We're seeing what's going on. We're not totally just engrossed in our awesome cheap pizza. So I think that's the starting point for me. Yeah. You know, we, we often talk about situational awareness and uh, that's, a, that's a tough one, right? You got two officers. They're obviously working together or they, they know each other. You likely have one sitting opposing the other. So you, you can have always one guy watching the other guy's back. We know that one of the officers, the first one was shot in the back of the head, uh, which tells me that, I mean, that happened right in front of the view of his, of his buddy, of his partner there. 
Um, still, I mean, you're in a CCs and you got a bunch of other people around. They're coming in to have a bite to eat. Bite to eat. Uh, you're not going to think anything of someone that just sort of starts walking, you know, behind you necessarily, unless they make some sort of overt gesture that might indicate that they're intending to do something to you. Um, in which case, clearly, uh, nothing happened here that got the attention of, of either one of these officers uh, before the first shot was fired. Uh, but still, it's important to understand and realize that it's so easy for our guard to be let down. Um, it, it's so challenging to be constantly, you know, 24-7, 365, constantly vigilant, constantly, you know, like you will become paranoid if you're doing that all the time. I also think that how many of us have really considered what it would take to draw that gun in that circumstance? I mean, it's not unusual for us sure. to talk about drawing from seated positions because, you know, we talk about being in a car and, you know, I'm seated right now, you're seated right now. So that's, that's not out of our, our you know, daily conversation or stuff we talk about on this podcast. But that table being in front of you is a big pain in the neck. You know, if, you, if your draw stroke is not really defined, if you're not coming right out of the holster and into that good high compressed ready, and then extending to target, then you have a lot of risk of running that gun into the table and not being able to get a shot off or even get the, the gun on target before it's too late. So that's another thing to consider. An easy thing to train at home with a dry fire or a training gun. You know, I can grab my green cert pistol because I have a green one. And I can sit, you know, at my dining room table at home and scoot in my chair and say, this is what a booth would be at a restaurant. What would this take? And, oh, okay, well, if I do it like this, I'm going to hit the table. Um, that's, that's good to know. And I might all say, well, if I'm right-handed, then if I sit on the edge of that seat of that booth so that I have a little bit more room, especially if I carry strong side, three o'clock, four o'clock, that's going to be a better position for me to respond as well. So just thinking through these things in advance and kind of having a sense for having trained it, practiced it, and having a draw stroke that is functional in all of these situations is really important. We don't want to have to say, well, if I'm in this situation, I'll draw this way. If I'm in that situation, I'll draw like this. Like you really need to just have a good draw stroke that should functionally perform in all of these situations very well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, certainly sitting in a booth can present its challenges because you are usually a little bit more confined in, in, in a booth. Uh, if I had my first preference and I was concerned about, about this, uh, and certainly as a law enforcement officer, I, I probably would be uh, because you know, you're, you've got a, you're going to be carrying openly in a holster on the side of your waist. Uh, I, I think that's probably a little bit more challenging potentially to draw and get out of when you're sitting in a booth, as opposed to maybe some other, uh, like appendix carry, I think would work probably pretty well. Cause it's already right here. It's right basically at tabletop level. You're just going to come up oop, hitting my microphone here. And so anyway, proving the point there, Riley. That's right. Well, <laughs> so yeah, that's, those, those are some good thoughts there too. Some comments here, like Brandon says, uh, actually, I was going to mention, no, oh, it was Brandon. Yeah, Brandon, he says, not every spot in a wet restaurant is a vantage point. Um, you know, if you have the op option of choosing where you can sit, I mean, that's always something that you want to look into. Uh, you know, as far as what can you see, uh, you know, do you have good coverage of the area? Do you have an escape route potentially if you can retreat or get out of the situation quickly? All those things are things that you should look at when you go into a restaurant or into a confined space as far as exits and, you know, can you see what you need to see so that you have maybe at least a heads up before something happens. You know, it's not hard to ask too. I think some of us are just inclined to say, well, I hope, I hope they seat me at a good seat. In the case of CCs, you probably can sit wherever you want anyway. But if you're at a place where a hostess is seating you, you can ask. I do it all the time. Hey, can I sit right there? Like you can, you can we, almost we always get what you want. 
You're right. You and I, Jacob, we have meals together all the time, and we're often jockeying for position between between <laughs> each other. As far as like, no, I want my back against the wall. No, I want my back against the wall. <laughs> like it's always somebody will will take that like prime spot first. Uh, but we do that all the time, where the, the waitress. Uh, is like, well, hey, we'll take you over here. And you're like, well, can we really sit over there? And rarely do they tell us no. Yep. Which yep. Is, so just that's ask. a really good point. Yep. All right. So after the officers are shot, um, which happens very quickly. And by the way, I do want to recognize those officers. Uh, it took me a minute to, to pull up their names again. And you had Alan Beck, age 41, and Igor uh, Soldo, age 31. Okay. But, but both experienced officers. So then the Millers go over to the Walmart. Uh, we have a comment here from Brandon who says, I feel the gentleman that was shot in the Walmart could have made much better assessments of the area and the possibility of being attacked. Yeah, that's kind of the whole point here, right? Is he sees the initial threat, which is identified by a gunshot as, as uh, 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 Jared Miller walks into the Walmart. He fires off a shot. He starts I don't know, screaming at people or saying, I don't know, no, I don't know exactly what he, what he said, but, or what he did, but Wilcox becomes so focused on that one guy on that threat, right? That, I mean, he doesn't really see anything else as far as we can tell, right? Now, Amanda Miller, the wife of, of the other Miller there, of course, she is all, I mean, they're both obviously armed, they walked into that store, their surveillance video of them, they've got guns in their hands. Okay. So they're not trying to hide this. They're going in there with the intent of, and, and you know, in their words, they were trying to start a revolution. They were trying to instigate a situation, an incident with police. They shot the two cops, then they went in over into the Walmart. Yeah. Jacob's pulling up the surveillance video. Now they went into the Walmart to basically create a situation where cops would have to be respond would have to respond they wanted that situation here you see highlighted in yellow if you're watching on facebook live uh, that's uh, uh, jared miller walking into the store a shot is fired you see everybody turn their heads in this video everyone looks see that so that's because a sh he fired off a shot they all turn and look now keep rolling the uh, video there jacob and so now Jared, it says, begins yelling. You can see there's a gun in his hand as he's walking in. We actually, oh, keep, keep it rolling, Jacob. And in the orange, this is, uh, actually, I'm not sure if that was her. Excuse me. Yeah, that was her. No, was yeah, that so okay. yeah, the orange is, is, uh, is Jessica or Amanda or whatever her name is. Amanda Female Miller. perpetrator. Yeah. Right. So she's coming in following him. Okay, and then we see, stop right there. Okay, we've got this guy highlighted in, in this blue box white shirt, looks like khaki pants. He's reaching right now at this instant into his waistband and drawing his gun. This is uh, 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 Mr. Wilcox, our you know, Good Samaritan CCWer. Okay, so keep it rolling. And he, you see, he, he starts, there's Jared going across the screen now. It's shifted to a different camera. Here's Amanda Miller following along behind, okay? And she's pushing a cart. And then Wilcox now starts following them. All right. What you don't see, by the way, in front of Amanda Miller in her shopping cart, there's a, she's got a gun in front of her, but Wilcox can't see that. Okay. He's only aware of Jared Miller who fired the initial shot and is yelling and, and causing a scene. So he's focused. And it says right now on the screen of this video, if you're watching, Wilcox does not notice Amanda and takes aim at Jared. Keep rolling. And you see right there, there's Amanda getting ready to turn the corner and we see 
Wilcox crosses right in front of her. He, like I said, she, he is not even aware that she's part of the situation. She continued forward. He rounds the corner to follow Jared Miller. She turns to look at him. She extends her hand and her gun shoots Wilcox right there. Point blank. Yeah. And and a a shout out here to uh, active self-protection, the YouTube channel. We're showing their video right now and they're a great channel. You guys should probably subscribe and we'll include the link to this video from them Mm -hmm. in the uh, show notes. I think he does a really good job making it easy to follow kind of the the happenings here. I refer to John Korea and and his active self-protection channel many times. Yeah. Uh, He's he's great. And um, yeah, he, he serves a great, niche in the uh, gun media world. So anyway, the, I mean, yeah, you, you kind of get a sense for this. So I'm thinking to myself, I'm trying to put myself in, in poor old Wilcox's shoes, right? I'm, I'm in line at the customer service counter. Maybe I'm doing a return or making a complaint about not being, I don't know. I'm, I'm in line at the customer service counter, which is right next to the entrance to the store. And I hear a, a noise. I turn around. It looks like someone just shot something and now they're screaming. It's definitely a dude. And I look and I see him walking with a gun. And so I'm like, oh, okay. Now, here's, here's where things might change. First thing that's interesting here is immediately Wilcox draws his gun. So, Riley, let's talk about that. Like, if you, if you perceive a threat in your environment, when do you draw? You know, at what, at one person might say, hey, I want to get this gun out right away because that's going to shortcut my response time later. If I wait, then later if I have to draw, that's adding, you know, one to two seconds, depending on the shooter probably, uh, to my response time versus I already have the gun out. It's already in my hand. So let's talk about some of the, the you know, goods or bads about draw it now or wait till later. Yeah. Really good question, by the way. And, and I think oh, thank you. The, the easy answer, which is not necessarily that easy, if that makes sense. The easy answer is to draw when you feel like you have the greatest advantage to do so. Right. But that's not always necessarily the, the right answer potentially, and I'll, I'll touch on that with regards to this shooting here in, a, in the Walmart. But, uh, you know, you want to draw when you have the greatest advantage, right? So if you are in that situation where you got a dude arm's length away or, or in close proximity that comes up to you with gun in hand or knife in hand and is threatening you, trying to rob you or whatever it is, you're looking straight at them. They're looking straight at you. They've got the drop on you. They've got the advantage. Like that's not the time to be drawing that gun, right? because you're probably going to lose that battle. You you can't you cannot draw fast enough and then shoot that guy enough times to stop him before he's pulling the trigger and you're also shot yourself. And so we talk about this all the time on the podcast about in some of those situations you got to create the distraction, you got to look for that opportunity. So you got to create the opportunity to draw that gun. And so you're looking for the time when you that that moment when you have the greatest advantage uh, for you to draw the gun. Now Let's look at this situation. You see almost immediately, uh, Wilcox draws his gun. Uh, he turns, you know, he hears the shot. He turns and looks. He recognizes a threat. He turns now. His body orients towards the threat, begins moving towards the threat. And initially, it's kind of cool, actually. You see this in the video, right? And you kind of see him kind of hunched down, right? And he kind of swings a little bit to the right as he's he's looking around the corner. And he's, he's it's, you know, he's not taking total cover, but he's basically, he's reacting to the situation. And he's doing all this you know, kind of crouching down, moving a little bit to where he's got a little bit of cover and protection as all at the same time he's drawing his gun from his holster. And it appears that he's left-handed. All right, so that doesn't matter though. So he's drawing his gun and now he's following Jared Miller through the store with his gun in hand. That's not necessarily wrong, 
I don't think, but there are some things I think we need to discuss and at least consider, right? Mm -hmm. So all people in the store know is they heard a gunshot and they're, they're looking for, you know, where'd that shot come from? Where is the threat? And now they might see Wilcox walking along with gun in hand, right? And so, yeah, we, we talk about, and we've, we've sort of, we've addressed this and sort of busted the, the myth. I think it, it is, it is a, in a sense, a myth. It is something that can happen where maybe you have another CCWer mistake another CCWer as the threat. And now you have, uh, you know, a, a, a blue on blue shooting, if you will, that, that would be, you know, kind of one term, right? Um, you have one civilian shooting another civilian mistaking them for the bad guy that could happen. That's not what happened here, but that's just something to think about and consider that you've now drawn and you're now pursuing and moving through the store with gun in hand. Now, some things I think that can help that would be to position yourself and, and, and maintain control of that weapon in such a way that makes you look less like a bad guy. The bad guy is going to be walking around, waving this thing every which way, screaming at people, okay? Because he's looking to be, he is the aggressor. The defender is someone that if you're not actively engaging that threat, if you if you feel like you got to have that gun out, bring it to high center chest, you know, to this high compressed ready, have it up in this position, you know, oriented ideally downward where you're not muzzling everybody else in the store and you're moving through the store tactically looking for that threat and you're ready to press out and address that threat when the time comes. The danger though in this situation with regards to Wilcox is that Amanda Miller notices him as he follows Jared and notices that he's got a gun. So she immediately recognizes he's a threat to my husband. And so thus she's able to respond. Um, and Wilcox has no idea, you know, that, that, it, that it's even coming. Yeah. So some comments here and we've addressed a couple of them already regardless, but uh, I, I really like what um, Christopher says here. He says, do you as a CCW holder want to eliminate the threat or defend yourself and get out of the situation? And yeah. so there's, there's a straight up strategic kind of question talk. here. Yeah, there's a strategic question here. And then there's a, well, if this, then how kind of question as well. So I think the first, the first part of the question is, what am I going to do? I think that's to each their own. I, I, I really truly believe this is a personal decision. Not everyone's a hero. Like, and there's no shame in not being a hero, by the way. Like if, you're, if you carry a gun purely to save your own life, that, that, that's okay. Like we don't hate you. I promise. You're allowed. You're, you're still part of our club. You know? you, you can, you're welcome to have been Wilcox in this situation heard that shot, saw him walk into the store and ran out the front door with your gun. That is totally an acceptable course of action. You are under no ethical or legal obligation, in my opinion, to go address the threat. You're totally allowed to just bail and live to fight another day. That's okay. But if you incline to say, you know, there's other humans in danger here. Maybe it's even your own family. Maybe it's strangers. You know, th then that's a decision you have to make about, well, I'm willing to put myself at risk to go save these people. And I do think this is one of those decisions that is best made in advance. I do think you need to stop if you haven't already and, and say to yourself, geez, Jacob, like, are, am I willing to, to put myself at significant risk on purpose? Am I willing to run toward gunfire in order to defend strangers? Mm, I don't like that's That's something you need to ask. I mean, I can tell you for me, I got a kids and they, they deserve to grow up with a dad. So I'm in, I'm probably less inclined to put myself in direct danger uh, than maybe another person. Uh, and so th those are, those are things you have to think through and you got to have a really good sense for your own ethical standards, if you will, relative to what you're willing to risk your life for. 
and, and I'm not, I'm not trying to be a horrible pessimist and say, Hey, everyone in society, like let everyone else die. That's not the point here. Um, the, the point is simply to say that for you as an individual, I don't want you to feel ashamed or bad. If your plan, if your core value is going to be, I will live to fight another day. That is an acceptable decision to make. It is. And I, I appreciate what you say as far as the need to make that decision in advance. Uh, you, you decide for yourself, you know, run some different role play type scenarios through your mind. And how would you respond? How would you react? Put yourself in the position of Mr. Wilcox here in, in this story. Uh, you know, what would you have done? Would you have gone after this threat? I mean, you are chasing him deeper and further into the store. So would you do that? Are you willing to do that? Do you have to do that? Obviously, the answer is you don't have to. Are you willing to? I don't know. If so, why? I'll tell you one thing that I'm with you, Jacob, in a lot of respects as far as I feel a a strong dedication to my family and my kids. I want to be there for them. I want to protect them. But I've also recognized in me a – I I think I'm hardwired – in such a way that I can't stand by and let good, innocent people be hurt. I, I just don't think I can, can do that. Now, it's going to be situationally dependent. And so I do potentially see myself as being more in that, that school of thought as far as I'm going to go after this guy. And not because I'm trying to be a hero, but just because I can't stand by and watch someone else get, get hurt or killed. Totally, but there's different... There's different, and, and this, this is the transition, right? From, from the first thing I was talking about to the second thing I was talking about. Mm. And, and that is, okay, if we've made the decision to engage, how? Because you could do this in a very careless, like, oh, I'm going to run right toward gunfire kind of way. Or you can do this in a very strategic, smart way. Like, okay, I've decided I'm not willing, willing to run. I'm, I can't stand ad, idly by, so I'm going to do something. But I'm going to choose to go in with, you know, on full level of extreme caution, right? Because there's different levels of Like one level of extreme caution might be like, okay, I'm going to have my gun, hand on my gun, but I'm not going to draw yet. I'm going to move very slowly. I'm going to get on 911. I'm going to make a phone call first, and then I'm going to start to get, you know, like there's so many things you could do to, to go from extreme caution to like just careless, like charge and start shooting, right? And, and, and not to make one sound unsafe. That's not my intent, though. That did come across as being very, very careless and bad. But, but you can approach this as cautiously as you want. And I think the biggest thing I learned from looking at the surveillance video is that Wilcox here did not approach this as cautiously as he could. You can see that he's, he's sort of like, you know, comes up on a corner and like kind of turns around and looks like, oh, is he going that way? Oh, okay, yeah, he is. I'll, I'll chase him now. And then almost like, you know, he's a spy following somebody through a crowd, you know, like, oh, did he go over there? Okay, yeah, yeah. But, but he's not stopping, taking stock of his surroundings, putting his head on a swivel, looking around, taking in all the information he can, breaking the tunnel vision, uh, analyzing his next point of cover, moving to that cover, ensuring his cover, then considering his, like he's not doing this the way he should have been done a little bit more cautiously. Yeah. So I think that is probably the, the great failure here in this situation is that I don't judge Wilcox on what he did at all. In fact, I think he did the right I I think he did the right thing as far as he sees and, and identifies a threat. And he immediately responds, which in this case is a is the is a really good play. And the reason why is because it's extremely likely that the 
that the perpetrator, that uh, Jared Miller, has no idea. I'm sure he has no idea that Wilcox is following him because Wilcox has responded so rapidly that I'm sure Miller ha has no idea that he's being followed and that, that there's somebody there ready to engage right then and there. And so in that moment, Wilcox has the element of surprise, right? Because Miller, I'm sure, has, I'm sure he's not thinking somebody is ready that fast from the moment he walks in the store. That's huge. Okay, so if you're going to take that guy on, that's the time, that's the moment to take him on because he's not expecting it, that kind of rapid response. He's going deep into the store where he's going to establish his own, you know, uh, a cover and position where he has an advantage to wait for police to arrive where he can engage them in a shootout. That's what he's basically trying to do. So that moment is the moment to take him on. But what Wilcox misses is the is the wife. And here's the, here's I think the clue that you've you he he really needed to take in and understand. And I can told by the way I completely understand him not seeing this right. He's focused on that threat. He's focused on that one dude. What's in between him and that threat? This lady pushing a shopping cart. The question that has Called to be asked <laughs> is, why is she following? Why is she walking behind this guy that's waving a gun around and screaming obscenities? Yeah, without without freaking out, she's calmly just pushing the cart right behind him. That's right. Like the, you know, and like, like you said, like I don't fault the guy for not noticing. Like. I get it in the moment, adrenaline, all that other stuff we talk about all the time, tunnel vision, uh, sensory exclusion. But, but, you know, if, if he had moved to a position to cover, analyzed the environment, head on a swivel, looking right, looking left, trying to take everything in, look behind, make, check my six. Uh, okay. Where am I going to go now? Okay. I'm going to move to that, that cover right there. Okay. If he had been doing that, this would not, he might still be alive, right? He, well, we don't know, yeah. but he might still be alive. He, he would have had a better chance of survival. And so, you know, bless his heart for, for engaging. But for me, the lesson is, okay, like I've got to have enough sense about me to stop, ask myself, what, what are my tactics? Are my tactics good? Am I, am I making, I mean, listen, we could talk about some priorities here, but I'll tell you my number one, number one here is cover. Like the number one thing I'd be thinking about in this kind of a dynamic environment, I'm moving from place to place would be, do I have cover and concealment? And we talk a lot about cover and there's a question here in the feed from Brandon about, you know, what, what's beyond your target. That's a really valid yeah. question because, you know, an aisle of, you know, M&M is probably not going to stop a bullet from just going clear through. And, and so, but all that aside, I still got to ask myself, you know, am I, am I really putting myself in a position of cover? Am I making sure that I'm number, I'm, I'm number one first. I've, I've decided to engage but I still would like to have, you know, be a dad for my children. So my number one thing is going to be my own survival. My number two thing is going to be, you know, stopping this threat and helping all these random strangers I've never met before. So with that in mind, first thing I'm going to do is address my cover and, and making sure I'm 100% good. And then I'm going to look for the next piece of cover and I'm going to move that cover. And if I'm doing that very deliberately, then I'm also allowing the brain to process stuff more. If I'm turning the head and breaking tunnel vision, I'm forcing the brain to have more cognitive function and process things more. Yeah, so there may not necessarily be a lot of cover as far as things in that store that will actually stop or deflect bullets. I mean, you might have a few columns. You might have... If you're in the grocery section, you may have some freezers or, or, or something, you know, too, that, that, you know, if you're on the other side of the aisles, it, you know, I don't know, I can't say for sure, but you might have some things, but chances are you're going to have a lot of opportunities for concealment and concealment is always better than no concealment. And so very good, valid thoughts there. 
Um, I do want to address some questions here on the Facebook feed. Uh, appreciate everyone's, uh, you know, discussion on Facebook today. It's a very lively chat. A lot of uh, questions being asked and, and people within the, the comments are, are responding to other people. And that's, that's great. So Christopher asks, what's everyone's preference on carrying extra magazines when carrying concealed? I think that one's really easy to answer. Yes, do it. More ammo is better. <laughs> Yep, more yeah. ammo is better. Now, obviously, how is, is, is probably a more like practical and useful conversation. How do I carry spare mags? Yeah. Uh, practically for a normal human, I'm not carrying a duty belt uh, you know, with all the stuff that normal law enforcement would load out. So how do I do that? And we can get into that, but and it looks like Riley's already prepping his, his thoughts. But the short answer is yeah. you need more ammo. Um, it, it, I was reading somewhere today, some research that the average gunfight is like three point something rounds of fire. But, you know, average ain't every time. And, and it, you know, for every, for every time that there's one shot, there's also 25. And especially in this situation, the one we're looking at, man, my goodness, you know, talking about well, these guys came in with an arsenal, two different attackers in a very dynamic environment with lots of innocent people, with concealment, with cover, with all sorts of, you know, things in the way. There's no conceivable way seven rounds was probably going to get this done. This just wasn't going to happen. Yeah. Brave Response Holster, one of our sponsors today. There you go. There, there's the spare mag pouch right there. And so you're carrying your gun. You're carrying your spare mag. We're all up right front. Jacob's going to demonstrate for us. There's, there <laughs> like is he's going with the uh, 43 today. In, indeed. Now, I, I also, another product that I'm holding in my hand right now is the snag mag. And the premise of the snag mag here, and I'll, I'll grab a mag, is that this is a product where you can you put your spare mag in here, something like so, and it clips into your pocket and, you know, maybe supposedly kind of looks like a pocket knife-esque kind of idea. And it's kind of got this little hook on it that's hard to really explain. But if you, once you go and check out the snag mag product, you'll understand. And this hook, the theory is that when I put this in my pocket, it snags on, on the side of the pocket and it makes it so that when I go to draw, I'm only going to get the mag and not the mag carrier because it's kind of snagged on the pants, uh, uh, you know, with this yeah. little, this kind of little hook. So snag mag is another interesting thing. I'm not a big fan because I got so much other crap in my pockets. I don't want a mag in my pocket, but you know, there's endless mag pouches that are IWB, OWB mag patches. The Brave Response Ulster is obviously something we're a big fan of because it has built-in mag pouches but you need to carry more ammo than you think. And a spare mag is a really easy way to double the ammo. I'll add this too. I would rather have a gun with seven rounds and a spare mag than a gun with 15 rounds. And some people are like, well, that's crazy. Then you'd have to do a reload. Yeah, but if I have a mag failure, having a spare mag means I can fix my mag failure. So if you even if you have a higher capacity gun, if you don't carry a spare mag and you have a mag failure, you're going to have a problem. So reloading is a really easy way to cause a lot of potential malfunctions as well. So spare mags are not only awesome for doubling your mag capacity, they also reduce your odds of not being able to solve a, a malfunction with your gun. Yeah, good stuff. Um, sometimes I'll have something as simple as this. This is a, this one's made by Blackhawk, um, but it's just a simple spare mag carrier and I'll just clip that on my belt. Depending on, you know, this one's not, really geared towards concealed carry. Although there's been plenty of times I've worn this underneath my shirt and uh, not really necessarily been concerned that anybody would identify it as far as what it is. It looks like a, you know, it could be a Leatherman that I'm carrying or whatever, or a lot of times I got a jacket over top of it, but having a spare mag, I think is huge. Good stuff. 
Uh, let's see here. Doreen says, I would have gone out the door and get, got to safety because once the shot went off, you know 911 was called and cops would be there quickly. I'm not going to put my life in danger if my life isn't personally threatened. And for that, we applaud you, Doreen. Um, yeah, and Brandon mentioned about the, uh, uh, you know, being aware of what's beyond your your threat as you're shooting at them. Matthew pipes in, says, love the episode and topic. This is the same Matthew Marister you guys are accustomed to hearing on the podcast. Glad you're uh, tuning in today, Matthew. Uh, he says, it is a good example that underscores why, what if scenarios and actual defensive handgun training is important, even though most DGUs or defensive gun uses involve people with little training. The training doesn't really relate directly to eliminating a straightforward threat, but the response to the threat or threats is much better when they have further training. The tactical considerations are important in these types of situations. I think, you know, just thinking more about this whole story, Jacob, uh, in Las Vegas, 2014, I think another big takeaway that we just, we have to be, it has to be on our minds is expect there to be more than one threat potentially. You know, this, this guy, like I said, you know, bless his heart. I, I, I will say that he was a hero. Mr. Wilcox was a hero for trying to do what he did. And for that, I applaud him. Uh, unfortunately, it cost him his life and he was not able to put an end to the situation. But I applaud him. It's just that he was so focused on this one guy that I don't think the thought ever crossed his mind that maybe there's somebody else here. Or once again, who is this lady that's calmly pushing the shopping cart following right along behind this dude with a gun that's threatening people. So it's just got to be on our minds. I think to expect like, even when there is not another threat, still expect it. Understand that that's a possibility you need to look around, assess situation, look for other potential threats, or look for things that are out of the ordinary. And I definitely think this woman pushing the shopping cart behind this bad dude, that, that is something that's a little bit out of the ordinary because everyone else, I guarantee you, was, was, was not following that guy calmly. You know, they, they may not have necessarily been running immediately yet, but they would have at least stopped and paused and been observing which is so prevalent in our in today's society. In fact, they'd probably be doing that and pulling their cell phones out and recording. <laughs> That's a scary thing to consider. <laughs> uh, it, it, another thought would be this: you know, this is this is daylight, this is lunchtime, this is a Walmart. Yep. Not that like unique. I mean, it's not like this is 9 p.m. in a gas station in a bad part of town. Uh, I don't think it's that hard for any of us to imagine we might be in a Walmart in a customer service line because you know it's Walmart uh, at at midday. That that doesn't that's not that crazy. I mean, you wouldn't that wouldn't red flag in your mind is a really dangerous place to be. I mean, I don't know what part of town it was in, but Las Vegas is is doesn't exactly have the hoods of you know L.A. or Chicago. I mean, I, I'm sure there's some bad neighborhoods or whatever, but it, the, the the point is. You better be spiritually prepared, right? Like you might be meeting your maker today. So I hope that not only spiritually prepared, obviously that's important, but you know, to the point of this podcast, you know, it could happen anytime. It could happen anywhere right now, right here, sitting in my house. I'm in a pretty good neighborhood. I can see the front door from my office window, but that doesn't mean it can't happen right now. Uh, It doesn't mean that, you know, and frankly, you think it can happen at Walmart, go to YouTube and check for Walmart shooting surveillance videos. There's tons of shootings at Walmarts. 
that happens all the time. We had one here in Colorado just a couple months ago. Like a month ago. Yeah, yeah. And and the shooter got away and drove off and killed three and, people. Yeah. And we had a bunch of innocent, you know, good concealed carriers running around the store with their guns, like looking for the bad guy. And uh, nobody got shot. <laughs> shocker. Yeah. So it, I mean, as far as, you know, yeah, blue good guys. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. The, the good Samaritans trying to respond to their guns did not get killed. Uh, they also didn't stop the threat. But anyway, the, the, the point is that these things do happen. Uh, they do happen in places you may not expect. So, you know, we talk about it all the time. I know that's the broken record in me, but anywhere, anytime, you, there is no safe sanctuary ever. Indeed. Well, what do you folks think? Uh, I think we're about to wrap it up here in just a few few minutes. Um, any last questions, thoughts, comments that you'd like to drop in the comments on the Facebook live feed? Uh, do do so now. This is going to be probably about your last chance. Um, and, and by the way, I'm open to any questions you might have, even if it's unrelated to what we're talking about today. Feel free to drop them in there. We'll address them if we can. So yeah, good thoughts, Jacob. Uh, th- let this story be a lesson for you all. I hope that you took something valuable from this episode today. Uh, I hope that it'll give you at least that opportunity to reflect uh, on your own personal mindset, your own personal pr- uh, preparation, as far as you know, if you're prepared or how you might handle a similar situation, which Jacob, like you said, go Google Walmart shootings. You'll be shocked how many there actually are. I think almost every other week we have a, a justified shooting that we share on the podcast. It, I swear it happens in a Walmart or in a Walmart parking lot. It does happen more often than I would care to, to like have happen. We just had a situation a couple of months ago where there was a woman that was attacked in a Walmart parking lot and a couple of uh, CCWers responded uh, and, and, and helped her you know, in that situation. But, uh, so it does happen. Well, um, Lonnie says, great show guys. I really like breaking situations down at the very least. We all pause and think, what if, yep, that's the point Lonnie. So I'm glad, glad you think so about this today. Before we let you go, a reminder that uh, we do have some sponsors. We hope that you'll, you'll take time and support today. This is the Sports of Field. This is the RV1 clamshell style handgun vault. Jacob's holding, is that the RV2? Oh, you're muted, Jacob. There you go. I got you. Yeah, so this is the RV2. It's the single handgun side access safe. And I apparently put the combination in wrong. Here we go. Reset it. So it's got a spring-loaded door, illuminated interior. It's really nice. These are good yep. safes. They're just good. For the price especially, really great value. Check them out at concealedcarry.com forward slash sports a field. And you can see the entire lineup there at that link that I just gave you. Of course, all these links that we share on the podcast are shared also in the show notes of, of the episode that's published with the podcast each week. Also sponsored today, I mentioned just a few minutes ago, as we talked about spare mags, this is the Bray Response Appendix Holster. This is a great holster. I know some of you out there may not be crazy about carrying in a soft-sided holster, but uh, hey, I'm, I, I don't think I think of myself as, a, as an idiot, but I have no problem doing this. I think it's a great holster. It's the most comfortable one out there for that type or style of carry. Even Jacob is carrying appendix now, whereas before he couldn't do it. So this is a great, great product right there. Check it out, concealedcarry.com forward slash, I think B-R-A-H, actually, we have a special link for that, don't we? B or mm. B-R, you'll B-R appendix? I think it's B- ah, like B-R appendix. Bro, bro appendix or something, yeah. <laughs> yeah concealedcarry.com slash B-R appendix. And Lonnie says, I know, I love mine. Great, so glad to hear that. 
uh, Lonnie. Jason says, love you guys in the great show. Please keep it coming. We'll do our best. Uh, we're able to do so because of your support of us and of the podcast uh, for buying products from concealedcarry.com or from other of our sponsors. So we do appreciate it very much. It makes it possible. And final sponsor today is Guardian Nation. We really appreciate all of you out there that are our Guardian Nation members. We're proud to be a part of that nation together with you. A lot of exciting stuff coming in the future as well for Guardian Nation members. We'll have another great box uh, being shipped in February. That's not, that's the time is going to fly fast by faster than you realize before the next box is coming out. So if you'd like to be included in the next quarter's box or if, uh, which by the way, at this point you've missed the deadline for being a monthly uh, guardian nation member and still qualify for that February box, but you can join at the quarterly level and still qualify for that box or the annual level as well. So go check out guardiannation.com, See what all the benefits there are, including one of those is free training for Guardian Nation members, not just talking about the online videos that we have in the library there. Hey, Charlie says here that uh, he arrived to this live episode about 25 minutes ago. I stumbled upon it by chance. On the first two live episodes, I received an email with a 30-minute heads up, but not since. Can you send out these alerts routinely in the future? That's a great question for Jacob. I will say, Charlie, make sure, do this right now, if you're watching the Facebook live feed, okay, if you look there on the screen, you should see kind of this little three dot. In fact, you know what? I can totally, let's do this, Jacob. I can share, here is, I'm watching the, the live feed myself so I can be monitoring comments. And yeah, and, and Lonnie's answering his question saying you can, you can select notify live. So let me show you right here, right now, Charlie. There's these three little dots right here that if, if you click on that, You'll see, and I, for it, in my case, it says turn off live notifications because I already have notifications turned on. So, you, but you should see that that opposite, you know, option: turn on live live notifications. Click that on, and as long as you're monitoring Facebook or if you get alerts on your phone or mobile device from Facebook, it's going to notify you anytime concealedcarry.com goes live. So that's how you do that. Uh, Charlie and others, if you're watching, make sure you have notifications turned on so you don't miss another one of these episodes in the future. So with that, Jacob, any last parting words? Yeah, just appreciate it. For also, you know, I, I know that the last several episodes we've been doing Facebook Live and and uh, also uh, our standard audio feed. For those who are kind of wondering what to do or what's going on, just know that the intent is for us to continue to do these as often as, as we can via Facebook Live. Uh, the engagement is night. Nice also allows uh, us to show some things. For those of you who listen on your commute, you know, while you're driving and on your phone, you know, the recorded podcast, we love you. We appreciate you. It's not going away. It'll still be there for you. And uh, yeah, that's, that's not changing either. So yep. we're going to try and get a little bit more consistent as far as time of day uh, and days of the week that we're here recording. So you guys can predict us a little bit more. But yeah, anyone can go to our Facebook page and, and you know, via the menu, you can choose to turn on your li the live notifications so you get notified when we go live. Absolutely. You know, the whole goal here is that we want to get, you know, we, we want to reach as many people as possible with the content that uh, we, we put out there. And uh, so that's why we started doing this on Facebook as well as continuing to record the podcast for audio only listeners, it's just, it's, it's reaching more people because some people will watch on Facebook or listen on Facebook, whereas they're not able maybe to listen to the podcasts conveniently or vice versa. So anyway, there you go. We will try to get more consistent. I will say, do not expect a live broadcast from us on Monday, Christmas day. 
And so with that, I wish you all a Merry Christmas and the most happiest of holidays. I hope you're able to enjoy it with those that uh, you care about, that you love, that you're able to do so safely. Don't let your guard down, even though it is the holidays. Stay vigilant, stay alert, be safe out there. And so with that, we're going to sign off. And just a reminder to train right, train often, and train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care, everyone. reminder that laws vary from place to place and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand applicable laws the concealed carry podcast concealed carry inc concealed carry.com and their affiliates strive to share insights and stories about firearm related incidents and laws but things can be different where you live or laws may have changed by the time you listen to this we cannot be held liable for your actions based on the information shared in this podcast